make us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm pretty sure the first time I learned the phrase, work harder, or sorry, work smarter, not harder, was when I was 17. I was on a mission trip in Kentucky. Our youth group had gone to Kentucky, and we were uh, helping out some rural farmers and some different things in the community. And so <clears throat> this one day, me and a few other guys had got, been in this, we got in this uh, truck, if you could call it that, and he had a trailer behind it, if you could call it that, and uh, he drove us out to his farm to this big, huge pasture, and uh, what our job that day was, was to bale all the hay, and so he kind of pulled up like right in the middle, and, um, and so what we had to do was basically, you know, he had his trailer, and he kind of explained how to stack it up, and then he was like, you know, you just pick up the bale, and you're going to throw it on here, and taught us how to stack it, and all those kinds of things. You know, a bunch of city boys trying to stack and bale hay. And I, I you know, for the, really, the, in true, that this really happened, somehow, I don't know, he just disappeared. The farmer just went away, like as we were doing all the work, he wasn't there. And so what we were doing was, so we would, you know, I started here, right, and I'd pick up this bale of hay, and I don't have good forms. I'd pick it up, you know, I'd pick it up, and I'd come over, and I'd put it in the trailer, and we'd stack it just right. And then the next bale of hay was a little bit farther, and so you'd go over here, and you'd put it back over here. And then it got to the point where we were walking, like, over 150, 200 yards to the next bale of hay, and we'd pick it up, and we'd walk all the way with this big bale of hay. And, you know, you couldn't make it all the way, so you'd stop, and then you'd pick it back up, and you'd get there. And, oh, my goodness, I, even just doing that, it makes me remember how much my legs were burning that day. It was so bad. And so we'd been doing this, I think, for almost three hours, and we've gotten pretty far. And all of a sudden, the farmer shows back up, because that's what they do, right? They show back up when it's, we're about finished. And I'll never forget it. I'll never forget. He, he, I, I was, I'm not going to do a Kentucky farmer accent for you, but he looked at us in this slow drawl, and he was like, you know, I left the keys in the truck for you. And then he said, work smarter, not harder. Smarter, not harder. Simple phrase that applies to so many things in life. I say it all the time. Uh, and I want to talk about it this morning because actually it's an incredibly powerful and important principle for us when we think about life. I mean, let's apply that if we can to our real lives. One thing that you and I work so hard at is being approved. Just, just having people look at us and saying, you're okay. I like you. You're valuable. You're important. I mean, so much of our lives is built around being accepted and approved. It starts... Early on in school, right, grades, it, it leads to jobs, job performances, how are we doing, maybe getting accepted to a college, finding the right person to marry, being successful. It's like this endless pursuit of people looking at us and somehow saying or even us just feeling internally, you're okay, you're accepted, you're approved. There's a biblical word that we have for this. It's the word righteousness, to be seen as right to be right. We all have a longing to be, to use the biblical word, 
righteous. And it's interesting, in the book of Habakkuk, that's what's happening here. Last week we looked at Habakkuk's complaint, that he actually offers two complaints to God, where God, he comes before God and he says, God, there is so much evil right now amongst your people, the Israelites and Judah. There is so much evil here. And Habakkuk says, God, why aren't you doing anything? And then God responds to Habakkuk and he says, well, actually I have a plan. I know exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to send the Chaldeans or the Babylonians to come and discipline my people. And Habakkuk responds and he says, how can you do that? I mean, the Babylonians are even more unrighteous or less righteous than your people. And even though your people are being so evil, how can you send someone who's even more evil to discipline your people? And then what happens at the end of that second complaint is that he slows down, Habakkuk does, and he says, but God, I'll listen to you. And he's doing this interesting thing that we see here that plays in our own hearts, right? Like what is happening is Habakkuk is comparing everybody to everybody else to determine who is and who isn't righteous. It's interesting, actually, if you look at verse 13 in chapter 1, he actually calls God out and he says, How can you remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? And he he's, has this kind of this level or this scale for what makes someone righteous or what makes someone right. And God offers to Habakkuk one of the most radical answers about righteousness. It's actually a phrase that is incredibly important for all of Christianity, right here in the middle of the Minor Prophet in the book of Habakkuk. Let's read it together. Chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, And the Lord answered me, the Lord answered Habakkuk, and he said this, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time, it hastens to the end, it will not lie. It seems slow, wait for it, it will surely come, it will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up, it is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. The righteous shall live by his faith. God comes to Habakkuk and he says, I'm going to do something and I need you to trust me. I need you to not think that you have a better way. I need you to not think that you're better than other people or better than anybody else. I need you to not think that you're better than the Babylonians. That's self-righteousness. There's actually a way to live where I can move you from sorrow to song, but I need you to understand this truth. The righteous shall live by faith. That statement right there is our proposition for this morning. It's this, that the only path to righteousness in life is faith. The only path, the only way that you and I will ever experience some sense of acceptance and approval and rightness in our lives, the only way we're ever going to have anything like that is through faith. Not through action, not through doing not through works, not through morality, it's through faith. It's actually this incredibly upside-down way to think about life because everything that we've learned and everything that we've grown in understanding about how to feel right about our lives is for us to accomplish it in and of ourselves. 
And what God here does is he says, actually, Habakkuk, what you need to understand is that really the path to life in the midst of all kinds of uncertainty in this world, all kinds of craziness, all kinds of evil, the path to life is to live in faith, in faith. The truth is the righteous shall live by faith. So what I want to do this morning is unpack that proposition and look at two different thoughts. First is the one, the problem of self-righteousness, and then talk about the anatomy of faith. So we're going to talk about the problem of self-righteousness and then the anatomy of faith. So let's talk about the problem of self-righteousness. God responds to Habakkuk and he says there's two ways to live. There's a path of pride and there's a path of faith. It may help to actually look at verse 4 in a couple different translations. So it helps to actually, you know, different translations, they, they look at the original language and they understand it and unpack it differently. It doesn't make one better than the other. It's actually a very helpful tool for us in really understanding what's being communicated and what was said several thousands of years ago when Habakkuk was written. So let me read for you the beginning of verse 4, because that's really where we're going to hunker down today. In the ESV, the beginning of verse 4 says, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. Now, another way to see that, the NIV version, it says, See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. Or the New American Standard says this, Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him. And in essence, what God is saying here is he's saying, look, there's two ways, and I want to talk to you about the one way, and the one way is the proud way. Look, and he's saying, look at this, look at this person. The one who is an enemy of mine, he is puffed up, he is proud, he, is, he can do it all himself. He sees it that he has it the right way, and because of that, his soul is not right within him, which... Which, if we could dig, dig into this, I think many of us would say that, yeah, I try so hard to feel right in and of myself, but I can never feel it, or, or it's fleeting. And so God's saying, this is not the way to be self-righteous or to be prideful or to try to accomplish things on your own. And so what we need to do here is talk just a little bit about self-righteousness. It's an incredibly hard thing to talk about because... No one thinks they're self-righteous, which is the essence of self-righteousness. So the problem of self-righteousness is this. It's easy and sneaky. That's the problem. It's easy to find someone that I am better than. Let's start on this side. <clears throat> it's easy to feel like I'm acceptable when I compare myself to others. That's what Habakkuk was doing. He was comparing himself, he, he, he was comparing himself first to the Israelites and Judah and was saying, What's, they're evil. I'm better than them. And then when God said, I'm going to send the Babylonians, he was like, ah, what? I'm way better than them. How can you do this? And, and then, this is the sentence. God says, the righteous shall live by blank. I mean, what's going on here is what you see Habakkuk doing is in his mind, he's saying the righteous shall live by their morality. 
the righteous shall live by their works. The righteous shall live by what they do. And God comes on the scene and he says, hold on, Habakkuk. Wait, wait. In his gentleness and in his love, he says, no, no, no. The righteous shall live by faith. Now we're actually going to unpack this idea even, even more next week because God talks about how his justice is much of what helps us to trust God, that he does bring justice, he brings righteous justice, and we need that aspect here. But, but this morning, I just want us to kind of focus in and on of ourselves about how, how we can easily be self-righteous and have sneaky self-righteousness. If you would, I, I thought about making this specific, but I'm going to ask you to kind of apply this personally. I want you to think about a public figure who has fallen recently. Maybe it's a politician, maybe a celebrity, maybe it's a sports figure. And do you know what we do as a culture when something like that happens to somebody? We, we expose them. And then what we do is we say, what a loser. I can't believe that they would do something like that. I would never do anything like that. And, and, and what's going on when we do stuff like that is we're saying, you need to pull yourself together like me. Which is what? Self-righteousness. That's what we do. We have to compare ourselves to others. We make ourselves acceptable or right by comparing ourselves to others. We do it with random people on the street. We do it with people in the church. We do it with our best friends. We do it with our spouses. And if you say, I don't do that, you're just saying you're better than the people who do do that. <laughs> See how easy it is? God's saying, I will bring justice to the Babylonians. I will bring justice to the Israelites in my own time. Why? Because, because I am righteous. But if you think you are better and you are no different than them, then we're in trouble. Because behold, that person's soul is puffed up. Their pride puffs them up and their soul is not right within them. It is not upright. And so God then, what he does is he says, I actually want to present to you a whole new way to think about how to live, how to understand life, how to be righteous. I want to give you a posture that you need in life to handle difficult times, to handle difficult people, to handle difficult sins. And, and, and what that is, is it means that you're going to understand. You have to begin by coming to a place of seeing that you cannot create your own righteousness and you need a righteousness outside of yourself. And, and the righteous, God says, will live by faith. Before we talk about the anatomy of faith, I just was pondering this and uh, there's a quote, famous quote by Bishop Hanley Mule, and I wanted to read it to you. He said this, the harlot, the liar, the murderer are short of God's glory, but so are you. Perhaps they stand at the bottom of a mine, and you are at the crest of an alp, but you are as little able to touch the stars as they. 
I am as little able to touch the stars as they. The pains of this life, the sins of this world, the depravity of humans will make it easy to be self-righteous, but it won't make you or me feel right. And it makes us just as much do the justice of God as they. God, however, allowing Habakkuk's sorrow, listens and engages, and now in Habakkuk's silence, God responds and offers him a solution, faith. He offers him faith. So let's talk about the anatomy of biblical faith. This statement here, the righteous shall live by his faith, the righteous will live by faith, it's actually found three times in the New Testament. Paul uses it in Romans chapter 1, verses 17. He uses it again in Galatians 3.11, and then the writer to the Hebrews uses it in 10.38. One might argue that these are actually the three most groundbreaking and foundational letters written to the church about salvation, and each one of them brings out and points out the power of this verse, that the righteous shall live by faith. Everyone exhibits faith. Everyone exhibits faith in some way, but, but what happens is in Christianity is that there's this call that there is all of our faith is to be placed in one spot. It's to be placed in God and what he has done in and through Jesus Christ. And I'll ask you this morning just a simple question. Do you know how to put your faith in God? Do you know what that means? Well, let's look at two aspects of faith this morning, what it means to have biblical faith or express biblical faith. And the first thing is this. Faith is a trust in God's interests. I'll flesh that out for us, but let me say it again. Faith is a trust in God's interests. Faith, faith is not believing something hard enough or wishing on a star. It made me think of the scene in the movie Elf, I love Elf, it's a great movie, where at the end, spoiler, if everyone just believes hard enough and sings the Christmas carol, then Santa's sleigh will take off. I think sometimes that's what we think in Christianity, you know, like, hey, if we all just get together and we just kind of believe, you know, we all just believe and then something will happen. It's like, that's nothing about what faith is at all. Faith is a trust in God, in his character, and that what he's going to do is ultimately, primarily for his best interests, for his glory, for his fame. And because of that, we then can t totally believe that he also cares so much and deeply about us that he cares about and is interested in us. It's actually something very powerful to do, that, that what we would say is that I'm going to put my faith in God and his work and what he's going to do and what he thinks is right. Why? Because God has my best interests at heart. That's what it means to exhibit faith. So I have an autoimmune disease. I've talked a little bit about this before in the past, and I was diagnosed about 10 years ago, and uh, it has something to do with my spine and blah, blah, blah. We're not going to go all into it. But part of the thing is I have a back issue. And sometimes you guys may notice I'm crooked up here, and that's part of it. 
So I have to be careful. Well, recently, about a year ago, my doctor said, hey, I need you to start exercising more, and you need to swim, because that's the best thing to do for your disease. So I was like, all right, great. So um, this had nothing to do with it, but a little background story to this. So in COVID, we actually built an above-ground pool. So I have an above-ground pool in my backyard. So <clears throat> a couple weeks ago, I'm complaining about how I need to start swimming more, and I don't want to go to the YMCA because it's too expensive, and that extra mile down the road to drive to go to the YMCA, I don't want to do it. And Jonathan says to me, Jonathan, our worship leader who's on the keys today, he said to me, he said, why don't you just swim in your pool? And I was like, well, you can't, it's not really far enough to do laps. And he said, well, what, I bet there's a thing you could put like in the middle of your pool, like a pole, and you could strap yourself to it, and then you could just swim in circles around your pool. <laughs> oh, don't laugh yet, don't laugh. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, that sounds interesting. So go to the Googles. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> There is a thing that you can buy, I found, called a swim tether. And what it is, is it actually is a pole that ho hooks into your deck and then has this big elastic band that comes down and you hook it to your hips and then you swim in place. Huh. Please do not let that be what you learned from this sermon today. <laughs> so, now here's the deal. So I'm like... My question is, is this okay for my back? So Jonathan, albeit though I know he loves me dearly, does not have the credentials to say whether a swim tether will hurt me or not. And the swim tether people, they said, of course it won't hurt you. Why? They just want my money. They don't care about me, right? Jonathan loves me, but he doesn't have the credentials. And, my, and the swim tether people, they don't love me. But they might have the credentials. So what did I do? I actually had an appointment with my doctor on Thursday. I went and met with her. And I said, Dr. Bilal, I got this crazy thing. You know, you've been telling me to swim. I'm sorry. She said, you haven't started swimming yet? And I said, I'm about, it's been cold. And so uh, I found this thing. It's a swim tether. You put it on your hip, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, what, is that okay to do? And she said, it's a great idea. It can't hurt you. It's perfect. I want you to start swimming three to four days a week, at least for 30 minutes. Now, I believed her. And what did I do? I bought the swim tether. It's in the mail. It's coming. That's faith. Right? Faith is knowing that someone has the credentials and my best interest at heart and then saying, I trust you. I will do what you want me to do. I trust that you will accomplish what you think is best. And, and, and that may be a little bit of a silly illustration, but I, but I think for me it helps me because the reason I have faith in my doctor is because she knows what's best for me and she cares for me. And so what God is saying is he's saying, the righteous shall live by faith. They'll look to me and they'll say, God, you created this thing. If anyone has the credentials, it's you. And I know you have my best interests at heart. So I'm going to trust you. I'm going to allow myself not to try to make my own self righteous. I'm going to look to you. I'm going to trust in you. Instead of trying to 
make myself become what I want to become. And when does God ask us to trust him like that? When is he asking Habakkuk to trust him like that? When the world's a mess. When sin is running rampant. Biblical faith is taking God at his word and trusting that he has the credentials and your interest and my interest at heart to make us right. Well, the second aspect of faith that we need to understand this morning is this. Faith is trust for an external or in an external righteousness. Now, this is really, really important because this, this is what makes this whole sermon and concept really come together, that basically we're, we're struggling to make ourselves right. And what God is saying is, I want to offer you something. I want to I offer you righteousness, perfect righteousness. That, that word there actually that's used, it's not just like kind of righteous or half righteous or a feeling some of the time. It's perfect righteousness that you can experience and be perfectly right. God's offering that to us, and he's saying, I need you to, to do, you'll receive that by faith. And so what that means is faith, and the first part that I'm trying to say this morning, faith is by, it's a trust. It's saying to God, you love me and you have the credentials, so I'm going to trust you. I'm going to put my faith in you to do something. And what we're, do, what we're going to put our trust in God to do is to make us righteous. And so this is where the harder, not smarter, smarter, not harder part comes in. When God is saying to Habakkuk, put your faith in me, he's saying, instead of working so hard, instead of going all the way over here to make yourself righteous, allow me to have do the work for you. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most famous sermon in the book of Matthew, in the middle of the Beatitudes, maybe you've heard that phrase before, he starts out this sermon with some Beatitudes, which are pr principles that he offers to Christians about what, it, what a Christian life is going to look like. And, and it's a very poetic thing, and there's a powerful thing that he does in these Beatitudes where, where he builds to something, and there's this massive point in the middle, and then he, and then he it fleshes out what it's going to look like. And so the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, or I'm sorry, of the Beatitudes, the most significant point of the Beatitudes happens in the heart of it, and it's this. He says in verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, when we hear that, it's interesting because what he, he's saying here is he's saying that I know all of us hunger and thirst for righteousness. That, that is a human reality. And what he's saying here is blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And the way he unpacks that righteousness, the way this, this phrase is uh, written, which is hard for us sometimes to understand in English, but what he's saying is he's saying there is... The people who will be filled are those who look for righteousness outside of themselves. He's saying there's something that, that you can receive righteousness outside of yourself. That's what God's telling Habakkuk. He's saying, trust me, put your faith in me and me alone to make you accepted and to make you righteous. Martin Luther, one of the most significant pastors in the time of the Reformation, this one phrase he credits for being part of what made him become a follower of Jesus Christ. He, this, this phrase out of the book of Habakkuk, the righteous shall live by faith, it, it doesn't mean here that their faith will make them righteous. Let's hear that. 
but rather they will be regarded as righteous, counted as righteous, declared as righteous. Luther said, you mean this is not talking about the righteousness by which God himself is righteous, but a righteousness that God gives freely by his grace to people who don't have righteousness of their own. And then I found this great quote. Luther said, whoa, you mean righteousness by which I will be saved is not mine? It's what is called gestatia elanium, an alien righteousness, a righteousness that belongs properly to somebody else. It's a righteousness that is extra nas, outside of us. And Luther said, when I discovered that, I was born again of the Holy Ghost and the doors of paradise swung open and I walked through. My friends, if you want to experience the glory of what it means to follow Jesus and know why some of us have given our whole entire lives to him, it's this. This is the most radical truth that Christianity offers to the entire world, that no matter how messed up you are, no matter how broken you are, no matter how deep your longing is to be made right, God says, I am right, and if you'll just put your faith in me, I will make you right. That's the glory of the gospel. God is telling Habakkuk, and he's telling us, I know there is injustice and evil, but the path towards righteousness the path towards the song. It won't become because you're better than anyone else. You're not. The strength and power to endure and experience anything in this life is to put our faith in what God can do. And what God can do is he's saying, if you put your faith in me, if you'll trust me, I will give to you perfect righteousness. I will declare you righteous. And, and this is where we look to the cross. This is the smarter, not harder part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are trying so hard. We are working so hard. We compare ourselves millions of times a day to people. Why? Because we so want to be right. And God says, stop working so hard. Stop working so hard. Come and put your faith in me, a God who can grant perfect righteousness. That we can find in him the very longing our hearts desire. I thought of it like this. Imagine you're in that field of hay bales. And every hay bale represents your sin. And we all know that that field would go on forever. And we would start, right? Okay, God, if this is my chance to be right, I'll do it. And we would start picking up those bales of hay. And we would start working. And the beauty of this picture is that what happens is Jesus comes along and he says, hey, just stop. Just stop. I'll clear the field for you. And you won't owe me. I'm going to give to you what will be earned by me taking the penance for your sins, by me taking the wrath of God that is deserved for this endless field of sin that you could never clear 
that you could never make yourself right for. And Jesus says, I love you that much that I, 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 just, I just want you to have that. I want you to know that my perfect life and my perfect death guarantees perfect righteousness. So how do we do that? <laughs> well, the way this word faith is written here in Habakkuk, the righteous shall live by faith. That, that word live, it implies that faith needs to be expressed in a moment and every moment thereafter. The righteous enter into salvation by faith and they persevere in this life by faith. God just doesn't make you righteous just because. He makes you righteous because he wants to be in relationship with you. Righteousness is always about relationship. Always. A holy God connecting with an imperfect, sinful, unholy people. And so what God does is he sends himself to pay for all of our unrighteousness, gives that to us to make us holy, and says, now we can be in relationship. So put your faith in me. Today and tomorrow and tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next month and the next year. That every day we would wake up and there would be this journey where we would say before God, and this would be my challenge to you, to wake up every morning this week and just in a simple prayer of confession say, God, the righteous shall live by faith. And so I put my faith in you that I'm made righteous because of Jesus. And may I live expressing that faith throughout the day. Church, let me invite you in the midst of your sorrow to be silent before God like Habakkuk and hear his invitation that the righteous shall live by faith. And what God is saying is, trust me, put your faith in me. I have your best interests at heart and I'm trustworthy and I will declare you righteous. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you so much for Jesus. Who is worthy of that? Who is worthy of him clearing that field for us? I am not. But yet you and your scandalous love for us went to the greatest extent to make us complete and accepted. And so, Father, would you set us free today from the struggle of trying to clear our own fields? <laughs> and might we just rest and trust in the work that Jesus accomplished for us all? And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.